These are the commentary notes for week 10, day 2, covering Mark 15, 22 through 32, beginning with the famous lines of the hymn from William Eleazar Barton, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. The Roman statesman Cicero in 106 BC, when he was born in 106, later described crucifixion as, quote, the grossest, cruelest, or most hideous manner of execution, close quote. Mark 15.22 says, Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. The place Jesus was crucified was just beyond Jerusalem's city wall. You can see that from John 19, verse 20. The designation Golgotha was was an Aramaic name, meaning a skull, which, quote, suggests a round, bare hill rock, according to Lane. Both Jews and Romans executed criminals outside city limits. The uh, Donald MacLeod writes movingly in an extended quote, Christian devotion almost invariably refers to the place of crucifixion as Calvary. The word, however, does not occur in the New Testament. It was introduced into Christian tradition by the Vulgate, late 4th century, which used the Latin Calvariae to translate Luke's reference to, quote, the place of the skull in Luke twenty-three thirty-three. It has advantage of being much more euphonious than the harsh gutturals of Golgotha, Mark fifteen twenty two and Matthew twenty seven thirty three, and well adapted to the purposes of poetry and hymnody, but in that very euphony lies a danger. So he's saying Calvary is easier on the ear than Golgotha. McLeod continues. It is easy to sanitize the cross, rob it of its horror. And imagine Calvary as a place of serene, evocative spirituality. It is no accident that it was and is a horrid, ugly place. The late Dr. George McLeod of Iona expressed it memorably, quote, Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves on the town garbage heap at the place, at the kind of place where cynics talk smut Thieves curse and soldiers gamble. God has chosen, McLeod concludes. God had chosen the site and the atmosphere. The act was barbaric. The sight with the de- de- detritus of previous executions still lying around was horrific. Close quote. He's saying there were probably corpses or at least skeletons scattered about. Verse 23 reads, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Why did the Lord Jesus refuse the wine and the myrrh in the first century? The concoction was a form of sedative, but Jesus, quote, had to die unanesthetized, said McLeod. Instead of being numbered, uh, pardon me, numbed from the acute pains of crucifixion, he must, quote, taste death for everyone. Hebrews 2 Verse 9, McLeod again, quote, Jesus declined the mixture offered to him, a concoction routinely prepared by pious Jerusalem women and offered to condemned men as an anesthetic to dull the senses and deaden the pain. Why did Jesus decline it? 
No explanation is offered, but we should remember that even on the cross, Jesus was still, quote, on service and needed to be in full possession of his faculties. At any moment, an urgent need or claim might arise, as when one of the two men crucified with him suddenly said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus is instantly alert and instantly reassuring. Today, you will be with me in paradise, Luke 23, 42 and 43. In the same way, McLeod writes, Jesus in his dying moments is equally solicitous for his mother, commending her to the care of John, the, the beloved disciple, John nineteen twenty six and following. He loved and served to the end, close quote. Verse 24 says, in brief fashion, such a loaded phrase, and they crucified him. Quote, the simple indicative of the verb and the utter austerity of the statement ground the central act of redemption in a historical fact, close quote from Edwards. In our English translation, Mark's devote, Mark devotes only four words to the climactic moment he has been anticipating since his first sentence. Only two words in the original Greek, starosin alton, they crucified him. Strikingly, Mark does not elaborate on either the physical agonies or the spiritual accomplishments of Jesus' death, just the raw events. Nothing of the pounding of the spikes through Jesus' wrists and ankles and nothing of the double imputation of our sins unto Jesus and his righteousness unto believers, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5. Mark is constrained to accurately convey the scene of Christ's cross without elaboration and to trust the Spirit to produce the proper effect in our hearts. According to J.C. Ryle, quote, this passage shows us the infinite love of Christ towards sinners. The sufferings described in it would fill our minds with mingled horror and compassion. When we reflect that the sufferer was the eternal Son of God, we are lost in wonder and amazement. And when we reflect further that these sufferings were voluntarily endured to deliver sinful men and women like ourselves from hell, we may see something of St. Paul's meaning when he says, quote, the love of Christ passeth knowledge. Quote, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 3 and Romans 5, close quote. Verse 24 of Mark 15 reads, And they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. This is a citation from Psalm 22, verse 18, and is one of Mark's explicit connections of the promised Messiah with Jesus. The entire psalm is messianic and would have been identified as such by Mark's original audience. Six brutal hours later, at the ninth hour, we read, this same psalm will be on the lips of Jesus as he nears his death, Mark fifteen thirty four. The gambling of the soldiers for Jesus' garments as he hung in agony was their unwitting confirmation of God's providential fingerprint that this Jesus is, quote, the suffering righteous man of Psalm 22. Although Psalm 22 is not quoted directly until Jesus utters his cry of dereliction, allusions to it are threaded throughout Mark's Golgotha narrative. Mark 15:24 alludes to Mark 22, uh, pardon me, Psalm 22:18. Mark 15:29 alludes to Psalm 22:7. Mark 15:34 is a quotation from Psalm 22 verse 1. A footnote in your teleos study adds, further echoes are likely both in the general themes of scorn, which we see in Psalm 22.6, in the words of mockery in verses 30 and 31, concerning being saved, which we read in Psalm 22, verse 8. 
Mark 15, 25 reads, it was the third hour when they crucified him. Jews reckon time beginning with the sunrise at 6 a.m., hence the third hour, but the crucifixion at 9 a.m. So let me reread that. Jews reckoned time beginning with sunrise at 6 a.m., hence the third hour, but the crucifixion at 9 a.m. That came from Edwards. John's note that Jesus was crucified at about the sixth hour, John nineteen fourteen, is not contradictory to Mark's chronology in that John's purpose was less hour-specific and more focused on connecting the chronology of Jesus' cross death to the, to the timing of the slaying of the Passover lamb from Exodus 12 and John 1. Man, that's a remarkable source for meditation for any of you who go to the Gospel of John and look at chapter 19. You'll see that that John there says that Jesus was crucified, um, pardon me, at uh, about, let me get the exact quote, about the sixth hour, which would correspond to about noon, which would be around the time that the Passover lamb would have its throat slit. And John's focus is Jesus is the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Oh, there's so much there. And the fact that Jesus was crucified on Passover. Back to the notes. Mark 15, 26 <clears throat> reads, The inscription of the charge against him read, quote, The King of the Jews. <clears throat> Both Roman and Jewish custom required the cause of crucifixion to be affixed to the cross, which in Jesus' case reflects the accusation of Pilate from verses 2, 9, 12, and 18. King of the Jews. This inscription pacified Pilate's carnal conscience to hand Jesus over for crucifixion, charging him as a political criminal. According to the ESV Study Bible, Pilate's words, again, are true in a much more profound way than he or the Jewish people realize, which is another example of John's frequent use of double meaning and irony. Verse 27 reads, They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left, being flanked by two criminals in his death, fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 53, verse 12, quote, he was numbered with the transgressors. It was not customary to execute robbers under Roman rule, even if the crime included violence. Rapina was the designation of robbery with violence. Quote, the execution of these men with Jesus suggests that they had been seized in connection with the insurrection mentioned in chapter 15, verse 7 and were tried and sentenced under the same statute, close quote, that came from Lane. If these criminals were indeed connected to the insurrection, then Jesus literally died in the place of Barabbas. Verse 28 is almost certainly a later addition in Mark 15. We ought not be too bothered by that. We have reliable manuscripts. Let me go back to the notes. Verse 28 is almost certainly a later addition. I just want to add that the... Study questions for Mark fifteen twenty eight ask why he was crucified. Why does Mark say he was crucified between two criminals? But I, I want to make note here that that verse is almost certainly not original to Mark's narrative. And um, I put that question in there because I wanted people to reckon with the brackets. And if your Bible translation sets it up that way, like the New American Standard, so that you can wrestle with the footnotes, and just try to be a thoughtful Christian to discern um, 
how Bible transmission works, uh, translation works, and so forth. All right, back to the notes. Mark 15, 28 is almost certainly a later edition not original to Mark's gospel. According to France, the added verse 28 providing a quotation from Isaiah 53, 12 occurs only in comparatively late witnesses and is apparently a gloss reflecting Luke twenty two thirty seven, though in a different context and with a different introduction, close quote. In the following section, Mark describes how three separate groups of people reacted to the crucifixion of Jesus. In verses 29 and 30, those passing by were hurling abuse at him. In verse 31, the chief priests and scribes were mocking him. And in verse 32, the robbers were also insulting him. Verse 29 and 30, those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Shaking their heads, these bypassers were unwittingly fulfilling Isaiah thirty-seven twenty-two. And Lamentations chapter 2, verse 15, not to mention the already in view, Psalm 22, verse 7. As they, quote, hurl abuse at him, Hendrickson said they are actually blaspheming him. As the original states in 1529, it is is used not in a general sense, but in its most terrible sense of mocking the very Son of God. This is nothing short of defiant irreverence, close quote. McLeod adds, what force there must have been in the taunt, come down from the cross and into the thought clearly somewhere in Jesus' mind that he could send 12 legions of angels. Moment by moment, he must repel Satan's insidious suggestions, summon all his own strength, choose the pain, and continue his journey into the terrifying unknown. Close quote. Notice that the slanderous bystanders have misquoted Jesus in their blasphemous vitriol. And that's according to John 2.19. As is common in satanic deceptions, these bystanders are misinterpreting Jesus' sayings, quote, and have accepted it as if it were the very truth. That came from Hendrickson. Hendrickson also adds, scornfully, they exclaim that the way for the crucified one to prove his lofty claims will be for him to descend from the cross. They imply that it is weakness that keeps him there. Actually, however, it was strength, the strength of his love for sinners. It was exactly because Jesus did not come down from the cross that he is our Savior. But these bypassers have made up their minds to defy the testimony of all the miracles, all the mercy shown to those in need, all the marvelous discourses, yes, the entire beautiful life of the Son of God on earth, all of this they have rejected. They prefer to jeer and to blaspheme, close quote. In truth, in this decisive moment, Jesus was achieving victory and his enemies were being defeated. Verses 31 and 32 of Mark 15 read, In the same way the chief priest also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. A careful reading of the Bible reveals the most sobering truth that Jesus was not interested in saving every person who ever lived. See Matthew eleven twenty one. Oh, frail children of dust, tremble, as Isaiah 66, 2 commands us. Instead of capitulating to the self-centered soteriology of these carnal men to come down from the cross so that they might believe, in verse 32, Jesus does not acquiesce to any semblance of, quote, a way of salvation that is designed by any man. The cross of Christ is entirely God's plan. 
God's interest, not man's and not Satan's. See Matthew 16, 23. If you will not believe the gospel based on the testimony of scripture, neither would you believe if a pagan relative rose from the dead and begged you not to join them in hell. See Luke 16, verses 27 through 30. Verse 32 reads in our concluding verse for today's portion, Matthew 15, 32, those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. The height of ridicule came from those who were also condemned to die alongside Jesus. It appears from Mark's text that the bypassers and the religious leaders focused their insults on Jesus, not on the two criminals. Then they also joined the chorus of blasphemy. Mark wants us to see that Jesus is alone in the crosshairs of a symphony of mocking slanders and insults. It must be noted that from the vantage point of the gospel writers, both criminals were initially hurling insults at Jesus. The words of one of these men is recorded by Luke. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us, Luke twenty three thirty nine. The evangelists are showing us that even the world's best and worst men were unified in their mutual disdain for Jesus. We also learn from Luke's gospel that the military men joined in similar mockery of Jesus in Luke 23, 36, and 37. Hendrickson writes, in the, midst of all, in the midst of it all, Jesus remains silent. He offers not one word of rebuke. Peter puts it beautifully when he says, who, while being reviled, did not revile in return, while suffering never threatened, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed first peter 2 23 and 24 close quote from hendrickson in mercy unspeakable the visible example and precious few words of jesus led one of those thieves to melt in contrition before christ and to beg him for mercy in an instant the dying thief was saved luke 23 40 and 43 Indeed, as William Cooper wrote in that great hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, the vile as he, wash all my sins away. This concludes the commentary notes for week 10, day 2.